Hello and welcome to Python Bytes, where we deliver Python news and headlines directly to your earbuds. This is episode 292, recorded July 7th, 2022. I'm Michael Kennedy. And I am Brian Ockett. Yeah, great to have you here, Brian. This episode is brought to you by us. Check out Brian's book. And if you want a course, check out Talk Python Training. Actually, a few more topics on that at the very end. Some cool stuff going on there. I want to tell people about right now. I would like to hear about your first item, something rich, if you will. <laughs> yeah, um, so it wouldn't be, wouldn't be our uh, Python Bytes bot podcast if we didn't talk about uh, Will, um, Will McCougan uh, and his rich stuff project but um anyway uh, yeah. uh it's something uh built from rich almost always yes yeah so uh will uh tweeted out fantastic today fantastic project from phil ewells maybe um it generates screenshots of commands on the fly from markdown files to keep them up to date and this is okay this is great so like let's say you gotta uh you want to do a like an output from a terminal output from your command or something in your readme it looks great in a uh if it's like writ like here's a kitty cat i mean you're probably not going to put that in your but 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 for instance <laughs> uh you might have your help text and this looks beautiful um and and oh, wow it, that can just show up and so that's a markdown file well yeah so that's just this you just stick this little line in your markdown file and it uh runs it runs what rich codex does is oh yeah i forgot to say what it is the the project's called rich codex <laughs> um what it does is it looks for these um these image tags within your markdown file and if there's backticks um it figures that you want to run that code and it runs the code and then puts the output in this image file and that's it and that's enough i see and then includes that in your markdown as an image right well, it's already there. It's already shows up like this. It doesn't change your readme at all. It doesn't yeah. change your markdown file. It just generates the image from from the code for you. Um, and then I see. Then you have this. So this is in this right here. So this is an image I'm sure generated from here. And then you know you can resize it, and it just it's an image. It's a, it's a vector image, so it just resizes. How cool is that? So I'm that is really cool. Um, so you can do these. Uh, you can run a command like this. Just throw an image in there in your well, in your markdown file or wherever, um, you can also do code snippets. So you can uh, give it like this this uh, code snippet of I'm showing a snippet of some uh, JSON, and it will um, it'll detect this uh, this comment out of your code, and then embed it as this this image and show up like this. So uh, colorize your uh, your right. code. So the the one of the ideas around this is images are nice and they really make us a a, uh, a readme really easy to I mean they're it's colorful it's cool um, and we like them uh, but it it it's hard to keep up to date and this way you can have it kept up kept up to date all the time. What I really really love about this is so you have all these things you so you can do code snippets you can even do um, uh, config files uh, you can have have if you want just to generate the image and you you're not referencing it from your readme maybe you're referencing it somewhere else or something you can have it generated from a like a config file but the cool thing about all of this is that he's got it set up for um for github actions so you just stick this this bit of code within your github actions and it'll regenerate uh your images for you it even does uh if there's any changes it even does a commit um your changes back in. so oh, that's pretty cool yeah 
So yeah, yeah, that's fantastic. Really sweet. You check in your readme, the action runs, and then it rebuilds the graphics. Yes, exactly. Cool. Um, and then you got a nice looking readme uh, with just like this little tiny line of code uh, the, in your readme. So nice. Pretty neat. So yeah, that's a cool project. Uh, very nice. All right. Well, let's jump over to this one, which is was sent in to us by Roman Wright. And it's actually a project by Rami Awar. And the project is called, let's see, scroll down, get this right, Pydastic. Okay. So the idea is, it says, Rami says, inspired by Sebastian Ramirez's sequel model and Roman the Wright's beanie. So sequel model, we've talked about that. That is Pydantic models that are also SQL alchemy models. So basically a database layer on top of async that, uh, on SQL alchemy that you can do like async stuff and so on. That is built on Pydantic. And then Beanie is the same thing built on top of motor, but the models are Pydantic models. So here is a, another one, like an elastic search ORM to do CRUD results and bulk operations and so on, built on Pydantic, but now talking to elastic search. How cool is that? Oh, that is, that is very cool. Yeah. Yeah. So if you were going to do an elastic search and I feel like this is one of those tools that I don't use, but I'm like, oh, I should probably learn this because it seems really useful. <laughs> so let's, let's step, take a step back real quick. So elastic search is part of the elastic stack, right? There's the whole elastic.co company and so on. But the core of this is the open source elastic search, which is a distributed restful search and analytics engine capable of bunch of different things, uh, stores your data for lasting, uh, lightning fast search, fine tune relevancy, you know, ranking of your search and, and so on, mm. and basically search and analytics, right? So if you want to do that, but you want to have your models be cool Python Pydantic models, well, this Pydastic thing is the way to go. Nice. Uh, kind of fun name too. So to get, it does. These all have fun names. Um, so the way you do it is you know, if you know Pydantic, you basically know how to do this. <laughs> you create a class and it derives from now an ES model, but you can bet that that's also like a, a derived class from a Pydantic base model, model base. I think it's model base. Anyway, the base class of Pydantic. And then you just say like name stir phone optional stir. And then even you can do the Pydantic field stuff. So you could say it's a date time, but the it's a field with a default factory of date time dot now, oh. right? All the cool stuff that you would do for a, Pydantic model. And then you can add a meta class to add information over to um, Elastic. So for example, the meta here says index is user. Then you just set up a connection. You create one of these objects and you save it. Uh, you can change its name and save again. You know, standard ORM stuff. You can get a, one of these objects by ID. And um, yeah, you can even create new ones, delete ones. Pretty straightforward. The other thing to realize is it uses the unit of work design pattern. So it says, this is based on SQL Alchemy's, Alchemy's session, which is the unit of work applied to SQL Alchemy. <laughs> so, okay. you know, by the transitive property. Anyway, you create a context manager and then you do a bunch of work and then you commit it. So you can transactionally make changes to your data in Elasticsearch. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, and that's pretty much it, right? You can query. You know what? There is one, uh, <laughs> I feel like this is a little bit ironic. Uh, the one part missing, still haven't got an idea how to wrap the underlying API productively. So... Um, how do you search Elasticsearch? I'm not really sure yet, but you could put stuff into it. <laughs> I love that it just says that. It just says in the docs, still haven't got an idea of how to wrap the yep. underlying API. I'm, I'm, anyone got an idea? So if uh, shoot me a thought if you've got some ideas um, out there. Maybe 
maybe y'all could figure it out. So I guess when you do a regular query, you get these results back. Maybe it's a dictionary. I haven't actually tried the raw API for Elasticsearch either. But if you get a dictionary back or list of dictionaries, then you can just jam those into your Pydantic models anyway, right? You can transform yeah. them back. But yeah. Anyway, if you're doing Elasticsearch stuff, you know, check this out. It looks pretty cool. And if you have ideas on how to address that, the final bit to do the search in a good way, then, you know, maybe take up that conversation. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Cool. Um, well, I'm going to stick with kind of some web stuff for a minute and um, and talk about PyScript again. So I, we've covered PyScript several times, I think. And uh, so, but I ran across this article called uh, Three Things to Know Before Building PyScript. And I got to say one of the, I haven't played, had you've made a little application with PyScript already, right? Yes, I have. And I loved it. Yeah. It's very cool. Um, so I hadn't played with it yet. And um, one of the things I love about this is it's got a little crash course and it's really short. The crash course is you, you <laughs> got to stick this in the head and that's it. Uh, and then in the body, yeah. you do, you wrap, uh, some of your Python code in PyScript. And when you print things, it comes out. That's pretty much it. Yeah. Crash course. Um, well, that's, yep. that's pretty easy. One thing I would like to throw in there about the script bit, uh, it's not, exactly obvious uh, in a lot of the documentation, but you can host your own runtime of the PyOIDI and PyScript web assemblies and stuff. Okay. So this just downloads it off of there, which I don't think the caching works super well from there, but you can put it in your own place and, and cache it and so on. Okay. So so I think that's the PyEMV or something. So if people are checking that out and you maybe want to pin it so it's stable or something like that, then you can, you can do that. Or just make sure it's on your server so that you're not pulling it off of their server all the time or something. Right. Cause maybe they'll change it or who knows. Yeah, right? right. Exactly. Yeah. And that, I was, I was curious about that, but I was, uh, for when, when you're just learning and playing around with it, you can obviously yep, use just drop, drop the, the script link in there. Yep. Yeah. So a few, just a few, uh, snippets and I forgot to mention who wrote this, uh, Brandon Brig, Brandon Riggs, uh, wrote this. And, uh, one, the first thing that he brings up is uh, package indentation matters. And I'm glad I probably would have messed this up. So this is kind of interesting. You can do a pi ENV and in, uh, in one of those tags, um, HTML tags, but, um, mm -hmm. the, the, the packages have to be, have dashes and they have to be all the way to the left. So you can't have those indented with your, your pi ENV. It's, yeah, it's nuts because it's, um, it's basically embedded YAML. Oh, okay. And YAML is sensitive to indentation, but white space is not supposed to matter in uh, HTML. So if you do auto reformat of the doc, it'll keep breaking it. So you got to be super careful with that section. Interesting. Um, yeah, it's a pain. So for something to watch out for, uh, the next one is local file access, which I thought, I'm like, I don't believe this. And I had to try it out and play with it. Um, you, you Because normally you don't access local files through JavaScript, but uh, but you can apparently through the, this Python thing, sort of. Mm -hmm. So you have to set up uh, paths in your environment. And then uh, I guess, was the slash mean just the current directory or something like that? Or I don't know. Slash yeah, means. I think it's, um, I think what it means, those have to be static files on your web server. So this says for people listening, forward slash views.csv, you need to be able to take that URL and jam it into the, just the web browser and see the file. Yeah. So if it was like yourserver.com slash views.csv, that's the little fragment without the domain that goes in. Yeah. And in this part, when I was trying it just uh, on my own, with the first part, actually, you can you can run a little uh, uh, PyScript thing just as a file, an HTML file on your computer. But if you're doing this, the, the, the local file thing, 
it needs a server, so you need to run a little. But there's a there's ways to do still a little Python server. Um, easy. Um, so that that's interesting. Uh, the in the, his examples is using using a CSV file here to just um, like uh, import pandas and use pandas to read a CSV that's file, cool. which is pretty sweet. Um, and I've, I yeah. Uh, the last bit is DOM manipulation, which I never, I, which of course you'd want to do within if you're going to stick some Python code in your in your in your PyScript. But um, there's just some gotchas that he can't, ran across, or just some things that weren't obvious to him. So that um, I guess it's a there's a there for buttons. There's a PySys on click um, or PYS dash on click, and then there's a, a how you get the element. You can get an element through the document, and um, and then you can put it back. You can you can do PyScript write and write to an element. And there's it's nice to have this little example be able to see so i uh it's good to try this out so like on this um pie script right it's going to this uh uh out out p well that shows up as an id in a div somewhere so you can grab you try to specify where you want to write to and then uh yeah and then how to get this this kind of example is kind of nice because it has like the grabbing from a grabbing from an input field and how to deal with the click and stuff like that so uh, yeah that's really nice um and it t- can you go back really quick to where you have the uh, the e, the pi emv section and the static file the csv yeah a little bit further a little further back a little further so one of the things that's really cool is you can actually in addition to these csv files you can put python files in there yeah I was curious and then about from that from one to the other you can say like if you had like a helper you could say somewhere else import helper and then call helper such and such or whatever and that's all you got to do to kind of like register where the modules live. Okay. So you can break your code up and you don't have, the example here shows it all written in the HTML file, which is kind of insane. And you should put those into separate files. Yeah. Like it's, you wouldn't do that with JavaScript generally. Right. So you shouldn't do it with Python either, right? So that's, it's really easy to use that path thing to uh, break it up across Python files. You get full autocomplete and everything with. And then same thing then, would, you, would your Python file have to be served so you could just stick it on a... Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so that part, the client side, so weird to say, the client side Python files have to live in a, a static servable yeah. section. Okay. Well, normally that's not possible. Normally right. that's blocked as it should be. Yeah. Nice. Anyway, uh, interesting. Um, this was enough to to get me to try it, uh, to, to try PyScript because it was pretty fun. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's very fun and it's, it's quite neat, uh, all the things you can build. And I think we're just at the beginning. Right. A lot of the examples are data science oriented, but some of the things you showed, like the events and the DOM manipulation and whatnot, you can build full-fledged JavaScript front-end style apps. They don't have to be only showing graphs and data frames, you know? Right. And I think I think we're going to see some interesting stuff because like you said there, um, if you serve up your uh, like extra helper file or it, it may, basically might be most of your code actually is in, in these extra files, um, then... Then we really can. I mean, it, it pulls some, some, do most of your code and do demos and it's all live and everything. And that'll yeah, be pretty cool. It's going to be fantastic. Now, when I tried this, um, the delay actually surprised me. It, it shouldn't surprise me because it's pulling in the whole, whatever, the PyScript library and everything. But it does like this little spinny wheel thing and you got to wait a few seconds. Now, for a lot of applicants, and I think that's one of the reasons why I think data scientists could really take off quickly is because. They, they're not going to, it's an internal thing. You're not bothered by it. Um, it's not something I would, sh- I don't think I, it's, 
I'd like it to be the point where you could you could really use Python instead of JavaScript in in a customer application or something. But I don't think it's yeah. going to be a while. Yeah, it's going to be a while before you see it in like a landing page scenario. But you may well see it in the equivalent of Gmail, but internal. Oh. You know, like that kind of app where you open it and you stay on there for a while. Yeah, that's true. If, especially if it's an internal app. Yeah, some backend stuff. Yeah, sure. Yeah, after yeah, after, after you know, like, well, I got to log into this thing and I sit and then like so. The video that I did last month or so was about how do you host that and then do a progressive web app so that it stores that offline, in which case the web app startup time is like one second. Mm. Always. Like it, it's really, really quick. If you get it off of the server like they list here, then it takes a lot longer. So anyway. Cool. We'll have to try that next. But yeah, it's, I, I, yeah, I'm super excited about this. This is great. All right. What do I have next? Well, let's see. Okay. We covered these. Next up, more fun names. This one comes to us from Sean Koenig. And it says, hey, this might be a good one. The, uh, you like punny names. So this is Disnake. D-I-S-Snake. Disnake. And Disnake. So Disnake is a modern, I agree with that, but you'll see in a second, easy to use, feature-rich, async API wrapper in Python for, da- for Discord. Okay. So Discord being the, yeah, like the community place, there's a lot of stuff happening there. You know, it's a little... Fills a slightly different role than Slack and Teams, but you know, kind of more community oriented rather than company oriented, I suppose. Although you can sort of do that with Slack, it's it's not really like its focus. It's more something the people have jammed it into. Like for example, uh, if you want to save the history of your community and you're doing Slack, you've got to pay per user. But it's yeah. like if it's a public community, like everyone who randomly shows up, you're like eight dollars a month for them too. Oh no, right? So for lots of reasons, for gaming and others, Discord is very popular. So what you can do is you can create bots for your community that do fun things. And this is a way to do that fun and easily in Python. Mm. So features include a modern async and await API. One of the problems apparently you run into is you can overrun your rate limit by being too chatty. So it has built in like rate limiting. So it doesn't destroy, it doesn't get uh, 409 too many requests errors. It has a really cool command extension you'll see in a moment. Uh, object-oriented, and both optimized for speed and memory, okay? So that's pretty cool. Uh, probably the best way to understand is to just check out the quick, quick start. So here's a minimal bot. Here's what you do, Brian. You import disnake, and you create a client at, with a disnake.client, and then you call, you create some functions, and you decorate them, and then you say uh, client.run, and you give your API token. So then you just write regular async functions. It handles the execution of the async functions, but they need to be async. And you just say, here's an event for on ready. Okay. Here's an event on message. So if somebody sends a message to that community, then it's going to call back into here straight away. Oh, interesting. All right. So just this function, this on message function gets called every time a message happens, including if the thing itself sends a message or the account itself. So it sort of checks to make sure it doesn't go into like some sort of infinite loop where it sends out messages if you send a message, but it just checks, hey, if you send the string dollar hello, it'll send back hello. The dollar means send this to the bot. You know what I mean? Okay. Huh. In, in this world. So yeah, that's pretty much how it works. It's kind of interesting, but if you look at the commands, then it gets way more powerful. So the commands are what people would probably think of, like what I want to do with a bot. So with this minimal bot, what you do is you sync the events like on message and ready and such. But with the commands, you can uh, go over here to the, you import the bot thing and say at decorate another async function at bot decorate command. And this one's called foo. So when that's the case, you know, it takes arguments and so on. In Discord, you can write 
dollar foo and then other stuff and that other stuff goes to the argument. So all you got to do is have a single function with that name and you put the decorator on it and now all of a sudden that's a command in Discord that talks to the bot. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Isn't that easy? Yeah. Yeah. So there's some other examples. Um, you can register your bot with a prefix. So you could use, I don't know, exclamation versus dollar versus I don't know, whatever it is you want to do. And by default, the command name is the same as the function name, but you can also um, uh, pass in a name. Like for example, if the name is list, you can't have a function called list because it'll freak out what list means. So you can give it a name and then use a different function name and so on. And then again, pass in arguments and such. So there's some cool little examples of they're saying dollar test hello and the documentation bot says hello and they say dollar test hello world hello world so on. Yeah, but, okay. So uh, I was thinking stuff like you could uh, give give people access to some of these commands. Like if you want to subscribe to my newsletter, you could give it a a subscribe command with your email address and subscribe yourself. Or something. Yeah, you could totally do that. And you could just on uh, on the bot side of things, you have that command. It takes an argument, which is the email, and then you just use the Mailchimp or whatever yeah. API to just stick them in there. Yeah, yeah, and that, that's running on your server, so it can do you know all sorts of things. Interesting. Yeah. Cool. So if you want to do something with Discord, uh, check this out. I haven't haven't used it because I haven't tried to build a bot for Discord, but this looks pretty fun. So go and check that out. Definitely. Yeah. Um. So that's our items for today. Uh. Do you have any um any extras for us? I have extras. I do. I do have extras, and I actually came up with another extra. Okay. While I was thinking about the extras. So okay, yeah. 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 Okay. So some exciting stuff. Let me pull my screen back up here. Uh, what's the order I want? talk about this one first. So last time I spoke about the modern APIs with FastAPI, MongoDB, Beanie, Python as a in-person live course that runs for two weeks that I'm teaching. And people can check that out. Starts on August 8th. So I'll link to that. But that's not my item because that's what I talked about last time. What I decided to do is I'm opening up a scholarship program for people who are underrepresented in the Python space and programming in general and who maybe also just need a hand up yeah. through different groups there. Um, so if you're a woman in tech or a person of color, or maybe you lost your job and you're like, I'm trying to get into programming. Maybe this course will help me do that. Like trying to get into programming as a job, uh, check out the scholarship link that I put in here and I'm saving some spots in that live course for people who could benefit from that. Oh, that's pretty cool. Kudos. Nice. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks. Okay. Now just, this is fresh, hot off the presses as in is one hour and 30 minutes old. We have Operation Python 2022 software bundle from hum Humble Bundle. So we're doing another Humble Bundle this year. And I've got my Git course and a Cutter course and a Pythonic code course that I put in there uh, for people to take. But there's also 24 other topics, like some stuff from Real Python, some stuff from Proven Learner, from PyCharm, and so on. So people can look through there and, and check that out. It's uh, certainly a, a good way to get a, a deal on Python educational stuff nice cool that's pretty cool all right and here's the one that that yeah thanks I, i'm pretty excited about that uh the last one was i told you about these crazy headphones that i have and i just want to tell people uh maybe quick, quick about this so i got this thing called ultimate ear fits ue fits and they're these fitted uh earplugs earbuds which i'm wearing now you see on the youtube channel and what they do is they come really soft and smushy and they're light sensitive and heat sensitive, you put them in your ear and you press a, you pair them to your phone, you press a button, they start blazing out light and heat and they form to the shapes of your ears. So uh, Brian, what do you think of that? Uh, that's, um, I, I don't <laughs> it's know. It's unusual, right? Yeah, it sounds pretty cool. I just don't want it to go too far into 
take over exactly. my brain. Exactly. What if it's too mushy and it? Yes. Yeah. Exactly. If it gets in there, you don't know. You can't can't get it out. No, it's probably anyway. Safe. You and I were talking about that right before we started, so I thought I'd just give a quick shout out to that. That's cool. kind of fun. so. How's it sound so far? It sounds great. Right, it's yeah. kind of like you're wearing earplugs, so the sound is a little bit blocked out, but then there's a speaker on the inside. Okay. Nice. Yeah. Uh, any extras from you? I don't have any extras. All right. Well, let's tell the joke then. Okay. So this one is a proposed, more of a comment on a proposed idea, which, gosh, it probably will never happen, but I would wish it would. It says, if we're going to unionize, you know, forget wage, increased wages and that kind of stuff. I want this instead as a software developer. And what it is, is it's a proposed new standard year, which breaks up the year into 13 different months. Yeah. They're all 28 days, which almost exactly rounds out the year. So every single month, the first is Sunday, the fifth is Thursday, the 26th is a Thursday. It's always the same year after year after year. Yeah. So you know about the days, you know how many months it is, how long. Uh, if you have 28 days or you know 45 days from now, you know, doesn't matter what month you're in on how far that pushes you into the next month. But there's one day left over. It says... The day, the one day left over is New Year's Day. It isn't a weekend or a weekday. It's magic. And on leap years, it's a double vacation day. The rest is easy. If someone says, I'll see you on the 19th, you know it's on a Thursday. Doesn't matter what month or anything. <laughs> what do you think of this? I, I've i always been a, propose, a, a proponent to the fixed calendar. I think it's a great idea. And, I, and I'm, I don't remember the history, but I'm pretty sure that we probably started out this way because it's the, it's the, the lunar <laughs> calendar essentially um yeah yeah pretty much yeah and i thought i read somewhere once that the people were freaked out by the number 13 so they dropped it to 12 or something i'm sure somebody in the chat or somebody will correct i, I think we could fix it if you just started with zero based oh, yeah. zero to 12, zero to 12. No 13. that's better yeah <laughs> january zero perfect um exactly yeah <laughs> yeah uh, anyway it's sort of a joke but the comment about it that's the joke <laughs> yeah you got any other jokes uh, you want to share? Is that a... No, I don't. But, I didn't, I didn't yeah. look. All right. Fantastic. Good talking to you again. Well, yeah, it's great to talk to you as always. Thanks for being here. Thanks everyone for being out in the audience. Yeah, thank you. Bye. Yeah, cheers. Bye.